Easter means something different to each and every one of us. We're all at different places in our journey. To some, Easter means the weather warms up and trees bud and grow leaves again. Well, this year Easter's early and spring is late, so that's not happening here anytime soon that I can see. Maybe allergies kick in or you wake up and the birds are chirping early in the morning. To others, Easter means spring break from school or maybe a long weekend. Easter may mean spending more time together with family and friends. To some, Easter is Easter egg hunts and the Easter bunny. Some that are here this morning may have experienced a tragedy at Easter time and past, and Easter memories bring pain. Maybe this Easter is your first time alone, having experienced the pain of divorce or the death of someone you love. We're all in different places on our journey. And these are subjective feelings and subjective areas in our life that will vary from person to person. And everybody's probably feeling something just a little bit different today. But Easter is not about subjective feelings or experiences. Easter is about objective fact. It's about history. Easter is the single most significant historical event in Christian history. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ are the focal point of our entire Christian faith. It's about the ultimate expression of love as God demonstrated his love for people, wanting to reestablish that relationship that was lost. We can ask the question, what does Easter mean? But just as relevant is the question, what difference does it make? What difference does it make? America today is obsessed with polls. We, we just love polls. We love opinion polls and political polls, polls on the president's performance, polls on the confidence in the economy. We like to vote on everything from Dancing with the Stars to American Idols. If we took an opinion poll about what Americans believe about Easter, we'd probably discover primarily four opinions, probably more, but at least four. Most people would likely, likely fall into one of these four categories. First one would be those who do not believe in the resurrection. Those who do not believe in the They don't believe the resurrection of Jesus took place. They may not believe he was even dead. These are those who would categorically deny the possibility of the historicity of the resurrection. Secondly, you might have people who believe in the resurrection of Jesus that it was symbolic or it was spiritual. In other words, it was not a literal event. It was not an actual physical event. They would see things like the spirit of Jesus lives on in us and his teachings and his ideas and ideals continue on. Thirdly, you have those who believe the resurrection was physical and historical. Physical and historical. So Jesus was crucified. Jesus was buried. Jesus rose from the dead literally and physically after three days in the tomb. In other words, just as the Bible accounts record the event, that the resurrection is a verifiable historical fact. And number four, there are those who do not care one way or another. They don't care. They feel like the resurrection is irrelevant. It's something they've not thought about. They don't care about. They've given it no brain space, and they don't care to think about it much. It makes absolutely no difference to them. 
Now, I don't want to stereotype people or say that everybody falls into that cat, those, one of those four, but generally speaking, those are the four categories people fall into. Now, this is not an apologetic seeking to, to prove the resurrection of Jesus. Many, many studies and books have been written about the proofs of the resurrection. You can get Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell, The Case for Easter by Lee Strobel, many other books that actually uh, are written to prove the resurrection. But today, we're going to look at one person's journey. One person's journey from doubt to faith. From doubt to faith. From unbelief to belief. And along the way, I hope to answer the question, so what? So what? What difference what difference does it make? We're going to look at an account which occurs the first days after the resurrection. The followers of Jesus and his disciples were in hiding. They were in hiding. Jesus had been executed and they were afraid that they might be next. And they were dealing with this crazy story that people were spreading that Jesus was somehow alive again, had been raised from the dead. And I want us to join them in, in John 20. John 20 chapter, it's in the Bible in the rack in front of you on page 881, or it'll be on the screen in front of you as well. John 20, starting at verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone who sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me and have believed, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The writer Jeffrey Sheeler wrote an article in the US News in World Report, and he says this, and I quote, while some of the details may be disputed, the fact that Jesus was executed in Roman-occupied Palestine is one part of the passion story that modern historians believe is well corroborated by extra-biblical sources. And he names Tacitus, a Roman historian, the Talmud, a collection of Jewish law, love, and commentary. The question has never been, was Jesus dead? Was Jesus dead? The question has always been, did Jesus rise from the dead? And if he did rise from the dead, what difference does it make? What difference does it make? 
Now we begin our story, if you're, if you're taking notes, there's a, an outline in your program if you want to follow along. We start with, number one, the reluctance to believe. The reluctance to believe. In our account of Jesus' followers that we just read, we find no doubt that Jesus was dead. They were all hiding, hoping they weren't going to be the next ones executed. They had good evidence of his death. Many had been eyewitnesses of his death. Thomas referred to the, to the nail scars in the hand and feet and the spear wound in the side. They knew Jesus was dead. They had heard by now that Jesus was alive, but at this point, most of them still had to see to believe. And see they did. Jesus came to them. He came through, literally, literally through the door. Unbelievable. But Thomas wasn't there. We don't know where Thomas was. He was making a Starbucks run or grabbing some pizza or groceries for the group. I, we don't know. It doesn't say exactly where he was. But he didn't see Jesus, so he didn't believe. Many of us here today even can identify with Thomas. Thomas was a realist. He was a realist. He did not have a vivid imagination. He called a spade a spade. He didn't believe in fairy tales. And if there was anything he didn't understand, he asked questions. He was the one who asked Jesus in John 14, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Thomas asked questions everybody wanted to ask but lacked the courage to express doubt. He asked those questions. He, he asked the questions of a skeptic. He relied on his five senses, and he said, unless I see, unless I touch, I will not believe. Reluctance to believe. And you may say, hey, that's me. I have trouble with all this faith stuff. You ask me to believe in a God I can't see. Supposedly, he created the world, and he created Adam and Eve and caused this flood, and this story about a baby being born in a manger of a virgin, no less. A man who walked on earth may be a good teacher, but healing the sick and making lame people walk, blind to see, feeding 5,000 people, raising the dead. Ah, some people may need these fantasies and fairy tales. Not me. I, I'm a realist. I'm a skeptic. And unless I see, I will not believe. This faith business is malarkey. Reluctance to believe. I, I'm glad that this tells about Thomas because many of us have walked this same journey. You're not alone. Many wrestle with the same issues. And I, I want to challenge your thinking today. We actually exercise faith every day. Instead of relying only on our five senses of hearing, seeing, smell, taste, and touch. We actually believe in and accept a lot of things by faith. A lot of things as truth without literally any proof. Let's look at the reality of belief. Let's look at the reality of belief. There are a lot of things that we believe without actually seeing them. Let's take one of those. It's called wind. We cannot see wind. How do you know wind exists? Oh, come on. You can feel it. Well, yeah, you can feel it. Can you see it? No, I can see the effects of wind, but wind, you can't see wind, but it exists. My experience tells me that wind is real. It's real. How about the sun? Now, we can see the sun, but the sun produces light waves I cannot see. UVA and UVB rays. We're told that sunglasses screen out UVA and UVB rays. Are they, are they really serious? Are they just selling me stuff? Or, is that real? It says sunscreen filters it out too. Can we see UVA, UVB rays? No, but we believe they exist. Why? Because someone has researched and they tell us, I can't see it, I can't prove it, but I believe on the basis of someone else's 
testimony. It's real. I have faith in another person's testimony that it exists. I trust someone outside of myself. How many of you drove to get here? Anybody? Okay, most of us probably did. Do you, do you drive by faith in the unseen? Some people drive like they can't see. Well, that's, that's a whole different <laughs> story. But faith in the unseen. I drive through a green light by faith that the others are at the red light stopped. Okay? I, I, I don't know for sure, but I by faith believe that they're going to stop and I can go through. Can I see the red light? Usually no, I can't see, but I believe I can drive through that green light by faith. I trust someone outside of myself. At least twice a week I go to the gym and swim for a workout, and I'm told that there's chlorine and salt in the pool that kills harmful organisms so that I don't contract some dread sickness or disease. Free chlorine will bind to harmful substances and, and neutralizes them. Can I see it? No, I, I believe it. I believe that they treated the pool. I trust in someone outside of myself by faith. We turn on tap water and drinking fountain and drink the water, believing it's free to save. I trust in someone outside of myself. How about vitamins? How do you know the vitamin supplements you take are doing you any good? Faith, faith. Preventive medications, what about those? You're taking a trip overseas and you take anti-malaria pills before and after your trip. Do they work? You didn't get sick, so you say, I guess they did, but my faith was in those anti-malaria pills because I was told you take it before and you get back, you won't get malaria. Faith. You take a statin like Crestor or Lipitor to lower cholesterol, so you live longer. I take one and have my blood tested annually and I'm told my scores are great. How do I know? Faith. I, I can't test it. It's by faith. Then there's technology. This is always the, the, the real stretch. There are those that are real technical and those that are not. I'm in the not version, okay? Use a cell phone, you text, you text message and you push send. How do you know if it got to the right person? My daughter laughs because she knows I'm technically challenged at times and it doesn't go to the right person. But you know that it goes to the right person, hopefully they answer you, but you do that. You don't understand how that happens, but by faith, I push send and it goes to the right person. You take internet or the email, those, there are bright people who can explain all the complexities of each and everything that works. And they may understand it, but I don't. They, they may understand it, and to them it's not miraculous, and it doesn't take faith because they know everything. I don't. So it takes faith for me to use all of the technical gadgets. It's like the missionary in the jungles of New Guinea that says to this primitive people, I'm gonna talk into this black box, and in four hours, a big bird's gonna fly over and drop food to us. And they go, oh, wow, and it happens. Well, to them, they don't understand it. To them, it's a miracle, they don't understand it. To him, it's just, he knows how it happens, so he knows how, how it works. He knows how it works. To the missionaries, it's an everyday occurrence. To them, it's a miracle. Well, you know what? God, to God, miracles are an everyday occurrence because he understands how it works. We're not smart enough yet, or maybe never will be, to understand. And if we cannot explain it or understand it, it requires faith. If we can figure it out, it doesn't require faith, it just, figures, it just needs that intellect. But we take a lot of things by faith. 
We believe in many things we cannot see and cannot explain. It's interesting, later on, when the first church was being birthed and Paul in the book of Acts was, was on trial before a Roman official, Felix, and he's speaking about this event, the resurrection of Jesus. And he says to this Roman official, why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Why is this so incredible? I mean, God created life. He knows how it works. Why is it so hard for God to start life and end life? God. Sometimes we believe in things we cannot measure, quantify, see, or prove. Let's go back to our story. Let's go back to our story. Thomas struggled with believing something he did not see. But the second time Jesus appeared, Thomas was present. And Jesus, knowing Thomas needed to see to believe, he says to him, stop doubting and believe. And Thomas, now seeing, cries out, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus makes a very interesting statement, very relevant to us today, because we're a few years removed from this event. He says, so you believe in the message in John 20, 29. He says, so you believe because you've seen with your own eyes. Even better blessings are in store for those who believe without seeing, without seeing. Do you believe? Do you believe? How many of us have said, if I could just see God, if I could just see an angel, if I could just see a dramatic miracle, then I'd believe. Or if I could see the supernatural, a ghost, a devil, I believe. You may view Christians as people with vivid imaginations and wishful thinking and say, that's okay for children and timid old people. But I'm a realist. I don't believe that stuff. I want to challenge you today to study the facts and investigate with an open mind the claims of Jesus Christ. I'm not asking anybody to take leave of their intellect or their common sense. But face it, we take a lot of things by faith. Why not check this one out as well? Now to those of you who believe in the resurrection of Jesus, probably most of us here, I have a very important question. What difference does it make? What difference does it make? Because belief calls for action. Let's look at the relevance of belief. Relevance of belief. If Jesus was resurrected from the dead, if he's alive, the resurrection means several things of relevance to us. Very relevant. First one is, it means Jesus really is God. Jesus really is God. Jesus made many claims to be God. He didn't say he was a nice teacher and just a, a nice you know, person who just went around teaching things and being nice. He claimed to be God. John 14, 9, it says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. John 8, 58, Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am. And the reaction, they tried to stone him because that was a claim to deity. In Mark 14, 61 to 62, it says, again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The reaction is he tore his robes and they condemned Jesus to death for blasphemy. In John 2, 19, 
It says, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. This statement and this interaction was used as an accusation in his trial in Matthew 26. Jesus foretold his death and his resurrection. Pretty hard to do if you're not God. That's what he did. Second, what difference does it make? We have hope for the future. We have hope for the future. 1 Corinthians 15, 14 and parts of this chapter say, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. But, verse 20, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. First fruit, those of you that know agriculture know that the first fruits are the first parts of the produce that are given sometimes to prove that the rest of it's coming. And his first fruit was Jesus raised from the dead so that we could know that someday we can have the same kind of life. We have hope beyond this life. We'll live forever. There's hope for the future. There's a Walt Disney movie entitled Tuck Everlasting. And it's about a family that drank from a spring in the middle of a forest and unbeknownst to them, it gave them eternal youth. They did not age and could not die. So, you know, the youth thing that we all want to hang on to. And this was physical life. And of course, the message seemed to be that they, in turn, never experienced the stages of life that we all go through. The, the joys of parenting and grandparenting and you know, all of the things that happen in this journey called life. And then they had no death. Sounds great until we realize that without death, we don't get to move on to the fuller and more perfect future life. They just got more of the same life, physical life. And that's not the kind of life the Bible talks about. This life is eternal life. And eternal life is life that begins now in the present where we restore that relationship with our God, the Creator, and then it goes on forever, forever, far beyond this physical life in a perfect environment. Hope for the future. Jesus beat death. So we one day will beat death. There's life beyond the grave. And it's a lot better than this one. You may be enjoying this life, that's great. But eternal life in the future is much better. And the race is on, there we go. <laughs> what difference does it make? What difference does it make? Let us see, our sins are forgiven. Our sins are forgiven. 1 Corinthians 5, 17 to 20 says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Sleep, forgiven. Has anyone here ever done anything they regret? Yeah, my hand's up. That's, that's okay. We're, <laughs> and ever committed a sin, ever did something wrong? Yeah. We, we, have, we are all in that same boat. And do you feel guilty? 
Do you feel guilty? I, I hope you do if you did, but I, I've, I've felt guilty about a lot of things. I remember sometimes, and I don't know if this happens to you, I remember something that happened way back when. Usually it has something to do with something I yelled at one of the referees at my kids' games or something. I don't know. But it can be any number of things that you, you just did something really stupid and you, you feel the shame all over again. It's like, oh, I can't believe I did that. And the shame or the guilt. And no matter what that past act was, you feel that shame. Well, the resurrection shows that we have been released not just from guilt feelings, but from real guilt. That our sins can be forgiven. That when he died and was resurrected, it meant that it was satisfactory, that his sacrifice was sufficient. And when he said, it is finished, it meant it is finished. It's done. You don't have to carry that guilt anymore. So when we pray and ask God's forgiveness for our sins and we repent and turn from that, he not only takes away guilt feelings, but he takes away real guilt. It's like we never sinned. As far as the east is from the west, it says, now that's a long ways. I've removed your transgressions from you. Just, it's gone. Our sins can be forgiven. What difference does it make? Because of that fact, we can have new life, new life. In Romans 5.10, it says, For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? This describes the, the, the restoration of the broken relationship with God, the restoration of the brokenness of our humanity. It's like we're given our life back. And who among us has not experienced brokenness? We can have changed lives. There, there was an extraordinary change that ha took place in the lives of the followers of Jesus. And the only event that can account for that change of the followers is the resurrection of Jesus. There's a liberal scholar named F.J. Folks, who does not believe in the resurrection, by the way, he didn't believe in the resurrection. And he writes this, and I quote, that after Jesus was put to death, he rose from the grave may be questioned. He doesn't believe it. But all must assent to the proposition that his immediate followers believed that he had done so. Indeed, without a belief in the resurrection, Christianity as a religion would never have begun to exist changed lives. The followers of Jesus were, were changed. Most of their messages in the book of Acts centered on the resurrection of Jesus, which we're celebrating this weekend. Many died the death of martyrdom claiming the resurrection. Their lives were totally changed and transformed. What difference does it make? The question I have for you is, has your life changed? Has your life changed? Have you encountered Jesus personally? Is your life different because you believe in a resurrected Jesus? Is there anything in your life that can be explained in terms of only because you believe in Jesus and embrace that belief? Well, let's look at the response of belief. What difference does it make? Critical question, what difference does it make? I want to do an, have an illustration. It's called a bridge illustration. We matter to God, and God wants to have a relationship with us. 
However, we rebelled against God and disobeyed him and our sins separated us from him and broke off that relationship. We have us and we have God. And there's a, there's a chasm between us. There's a broken, brokenness in relationship. And to varying degrees, most of us are aware that we live in a distance from God. So we start doing things to get back to him, being a helpful neighbor, paying our taxes, giving to charity, going to church. And nothing is wrong with these efforts, but none of us can, none of those can earn that favor with God. They, we can't on our own reestablish that relationship with God. And it says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We, we can't do it. And the sins we've committed must be punished and the penalty we owe is death. Death is spiritual separation and physical death. But the good news is that we matter to God. He loves us so much he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He provided a bridge over which we can find his forgiveness and restore that relationship, and that bridge is the cross. He died, and he paid our death penalty when he died on the cross. Now, most of us know a lot of these facts, but it's not just enough to make intellectual sense or to know about this or even agree with it. We have to act on it. God wants us to move to the other side. We do this by humbly admitting to God that we've rebelled against him, that we need his forgiveness and his leadership. And with our sins forgiven, our debt paid, our relationship with God can be established because we are then adopted into his family as sons and daughters of God. The question is, does this make sense to you? Does that make sense? And then I have a question for each one of you. Where are you on this diagram? Where are you on this diagram right now? And where would you like to be on this diagram? Would you like to be? Because you can cross to the other side in that, over that bridge to God with a simple prayer. Prayer is just talking with God. And I'm, I'm going to have a prayer put up and I'm going to pray it out loud. You can pray it inside if you like. It goes like this. Lord Jesus, I need you. I believe you are the son of God. Thank you for dying for my sins. I believe you were resurrected from the dead and live today. Forgive my sins. Take charge of my life and be my leader. Amen. Did you pray that prayer and mean it today? The last two verses of our text say, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's what you can do today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us an incredible picture of your love and grace. And I pray, Lord, today that you would continue to work in our lives. I pray, God, that those that may have prayed that prayer, that they'd they would acknowledge that and that they would truly give themselves to you and start a whole new life on this day, Easter Sunday. Let's stand, shall we?